Bob mentioned after several years of planning, we launched this Anticipate campaign. Well, we publicly launched that campaign on March 6, 2020. Now, you may know what happened a week after that public launch is the whole world shut down and we neglected to meet for about three months in person. We were determined when we launched this campaign, like it was, yeah, there was a practical aspect that we have utilitarian building. We have a, a modest vision of what this building should be and could be, and we need to make repairs on it. But we were determined that it was more than just a campaign to raise money for a building, that we want it to, be, to grow as people of God and uh, like it, it just grow deeper in our relationship with each other and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so this was going to be a spiritual growth campaign, and we, we strategically picked this uh, idea of this verse, My, uh, Micah 7-7, seven, seven, and this idea of anticipate, this eagerly awaiting. And wow, what a campaign title, because there's no way that we could have anticipated that pandemic. There is no way that we could have anticipated the past 15 or so months that has happened. This was not our vision. It was not our plan. And even in the midst of this plan that we, we launched and then we pulled back and then we got our eyes, as we do as humans, attached to a shiny object. We said, what if we just ditch the plans and go after another building? And our, our, our building, our, our campaign advisor was shaking his head like, don't do that. Don't confuse the congregation on that. And so, but that's what we did. And then we said no on that and we launched the campaign again. There's no way we could have anticipated what God was going to do and what he had planned for us. God always has a different plan than our plans. God always has a different way to execute those plans and a vision of what we need. We thought, okay, this is what we need to do as a congregation. And God had a different plan and a different lesson. And he still does. I think that message for us, and at least for me that I've heard in this last 15 or so months is to anticipate belonging. Anticipate belonging. As infants, as some of you know, because you have an infant now, there's a fundamental need for comfort, security, and belonging. I mean, this is foundational for infant, right? It's like a 24-7 activity as a parent to make them feel comfortable, to make them feel secure, to make them feel like they belong, right? So you pick up your child and you feed your child to give them comfort. You all understand comfort food, right? Yeah, so does a child, an infant. And so maybe you pick up that child as he's crying and you rock them and you sing them to sleep. Because for them, there's a world that they don't know that is scary, it's unknown, and so they need to feel security, they need to feel comfort, and they need to know they belong. And as that child grows older, here's the thing, those foundational needs never change. So maybe you have a, you've had a child crawl into your bed after a midnight uh, nightmare. And they snuggle up because they need to know that they are secure, that they belong, and there's comfort. And maybe you need to give that child a hug. Maybe they need self-assurance after they fail a test, after they've been bullied, after the world has gone wrong and life has gone wrong. Things just didn't go as they expected. 
They need to feel comfort. They need to feel security. And they need to belong. And as adults, that need does not change. It is fundamental to who we are. We need to know we belong. We need to know that there's security. We need to be comforted. But who is going to comfort us? Who's going to make us secure? Where do we belong? I think the pandemic and reality disrupted those needs for us. It highlighted a flawed way in which you and I try to meet those needs. And you and I try to meet those needs every day. We try to find comfort. We try to find belonging. We try to find security in a multitude of ways every day. But think about what the pandemic did, particularly the first few months. The places where you were supposed to feel safe and secure were no longer safe and secure. When you were sick, where do you go? To the doctors or to the hospital. But during the pandemic, they told you, don't come. In fact, if you went there, they would like treat you quickly and get out. You're not safe here. Go home. How disruptive is that? Because those are our safe places. And you couldn't even go to church where you might feel like you belong and feel safe. In fact, family members were unsafe in the pandemic. Neighbors were unsafe. Places of worship were unsafe. Where were we to find comfort? Netflix. <laughs> you know you binged. <laughs> we were being attacked and we were being fearful of an invisible enemy. We didn't know who to trust, who was safe, or where we belonged. So we searched it in lots of different ways, but the reality is we do that every day anyway. Every day in a lot of unproductive ways. We search to belong in a variety of ways, particularly through self-created identities. And you know what happened in that pandemic? A lot of lines in the sand were drawn in our lives. Our world, which has always been polarized, fragmented even more. Our churches fragmented. We aligned with tribal identities and communities anywhere to find comfort and belonging and security. Wherever it is, I belong to these people that believe this. Wherever it was. And the reality is when our churches had fractured on those different kinds of, not foundational not spiritual beliefs, but other things. Communities fractured. It fractured our lives. It didn't comfort. It didn't bring security. And we don't feel like we belong anywhere. This may sound like... I've read a lot of books in the pandemic. But there's not a better book that I've read. I've read a lot of great books than this book. Alan Noble's book, You Are Not Your Own. If you like to read books... 
This is a challenging book to read, but it is fantastic. I encourage you to read it. Here's what Alan Noble says in part. He says, humans are terrible at anthropology. Anthropology is the study of humans. It means we're really just, we have no idea actually how to create safe and good, comfortable environments for ourselves. I mean, we are the higher intelligence in this world, and yet lower animals will actually figure out how to do this better, but we are really terrible at studying and knowing what brings us comfort, what brings us security, and what brings us belonging. We are, we are like zookeepers that entrap us into zoos. Have you ever seen an animal at a zoo? They don't act like they do in the wild. They don't act naturally. We have created a world where autonomy, self-identity sounds comforting to us. Like, I get to choose who I am. I get to make all the choices in my life. I have this freedom. And we've created a world where freedom is valorized as one of the highest goods. Like, this is the best, that you get to have autonomy and you get to decide who you are. But I just want you to understand that identity, however you want to identify yourself, identity by its very nature needs to be affirmed. Otherwise, it's not an identity. All your identity that you create and that you look for, and you say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do, and this is who I am. If it's not validated by someone, it won't comfort, it won't bring security, it doesn't work. All of it we seek. We want to be validated, we want to be affirmed, we want to belong. And that's what identity does. And so we, may, we have this, you can be anything you want. You can recreate it in ways that doesn't even make biological sense. John Milton in the Paradise Lost taught us that freedom without limits is a kind of hell in itself. Freedom should not be valorized. The hell on earth that we have created as humans, and this is not, uh, this is Christians as well too. We do this all the time. We create infinite disappointment because we have unquenchable desires. And so we, we, we desire something and it never satisfies us. And so we're always in this cycle of disappointment in our lives. And then, I don't know about you, but if you have uh, choices of lots of different things, we created a world where there's choice paralysis. Where there's too many choices and you just can't decide. I mean, how many different Oreos do you need? Have you actually counted how many different Oreos there are? I think there's 26 different kind of Oreos that you can buy. I just need one, to be honest with you. I don't need any, to be honest with you. We have created a hell on earth where there's, a, we, there's an endless project to improve ourselves, to optimize ourselves, to be more efficient, to be the best version of you. Man, that's exhausting. It is exhausting, and you can never get there, can you? We created a world of hell on earth because of this desire to keep seeking or ability that we have this, create our own identity, that we need this constant need for approval and affirmation in our lives. 
So some of us, I don't know about it's you, but some of us, we post things on social media and we're waiting for the likes. Ooh, a heart. Yes. <laughs> because somehow that's validating your life. But here's the thing about social media. This is a self-created identity that's not real, is it? It's just the identity that you are outwardly creating for people to perceive and how joyous and wondrous your life is. You're not fooling anyone. This is the hell that we've created. And this, this is not, I don't want to diminish what actual hell is, but this is a hell type of earth. It's misery. We have created a world and a lie that we belong to ourself. And we have endlessly created identities and re-identify ourselves and recreate ourselves over and over again because it doesn't comfort us. It doesn't give us a sense of belonging. It doesn't affirm us and it doesn't bring us security. Noble calls this this responsibility of self-belonging. It's a burden. Because we get to create ourselves over and over again. And only we have the responsibility. No one else can tell us who we are or where we belong or what our identity. It's all ourselves. And we're constantly in that mode of approving it or changing it or finding this comfort and finding the security and finding this belonging. Another way of saying this is the responsibility of adulting. Because as a child, this just happens for us. But as adults, who's going to happen? How is it going to happen? This is what Noble says, quotes this, says, Life is hard and death is terrifying. The only people who don't recognize the need for comfort, comfort as we go through life and face death are those who have so effectively numbed themselves that they no longer recognize their numbness as a form of comfort. I don't know what your means of numbing yourself is, but I know you have it. The Heidelberger Catechism, written in 1563, the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism says this, what is your only comfort in life and death? Man, did they know it. Did they know what a foundational it is for humans that need we to be comforted? Here's their answer. That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied all of my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil and so persevered preserves me from that without the will of my heavenly father not a hair can fall from my head yea that all things must be subservient to my salvation wherefore by his holy spirit he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and readily henceforth to live on to him there is so much there i can't even address this in one sermon But I want you to hear it very clearly that we have created a world where we are responsible for our own self-belonging. To figure out where we belong, where our identity is. And the first question, the Heidelberg Catechism, and I think which God wants you to know, is that you are not your own. 
that you do not have this responsibility to figure out who you are. In fact, you can't. You can't. You belong to Jesus. Why? Because he purchased you at the cross. He died for your sins. He gave you his righteousness. More than that, if there could be more. He gives you his Holy Spirit to change you from the now so that you might live to him, not for you. This is your comfort. This is your comfort in life, that you belong to him. You no longer have responsibility to self-identify, to figure it out, to improve. 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul lays it out this way. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now, this is a context he's talking about sexuality and proper expression of that, but it, it means more than that. He said, look at, I have freedom in all things. But that freedom, right, is what Milton's saying, without boundaries is a hell. If I just has freedom to just do whatever I want, this would be terrible. But Paul says, there is limits. I have limits, and these are good. And you know how he defines why we know what those limits are? He says in this, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 12, a few verses later, he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. All right, the context I told you is, is sexuality. And, and later, actually, Paul says, right, the husband, your body belongs to the wife. And the wife, your body belongs to the husband. And, and the context is that, is that you all belong to God. You, your body, your life never belongs to you. It's always a gift to give away, whether in, in sexuality and in, in, in marriage or just in every aspect of your life. It is a gift from God to give to him, to glorify him. We are, we are free to be self-autonomous, to self-long, and to self-identify. That's what Paul's saying. But that's not what you are. Paul said it could have said, your sexuality in this context, he could have said, hey, listen, this is why we do it, because you're going to have mind-blowing sex. That's why there's limits. Have you ever heard that? In terms of why there's limits to sexuality? He could have said that, but that's not what he says. He said, wait, there could have been, because this is the law. This is the standard. This is why you do that. No, the reason why he says there's limits, simple. You are not your own. You belong to God. You didn't self-create yourself. You didn't enter this world because you willed yourself in this world. You are gift from God, and you belong to God. So glorify him. 
we belong to God, not because of some choice of menu options, but by his sovereign will and action. He purchased us with a price, his death on a cross for your sins. And in this language that Paul uses, this is harsh language. I don't want to, to dumb this down. This is slave language, and slavery at this time was not nice. You were an object. You couldn't be set free, but solely upon your master's will. But Paul says that in Romans, like, you are a slave to sin until you understand that you belong to God. And belonging to God is not slavery in the context of this world or slavery to sin. It's freedom to understand who you are and where your comfort is or where your security is, where you belong. We move from slavery to sin, this is the gospel, to belonging to God. Limits and boundaries, Paul puts in, uh, God puts on us that our life-giving, his character being developed in us. This is what the law is. This is what the boundaries are. This is who I am, and this is who you are, because you belong to me. In other ways, he actually uses the, the uh, imagery of family. You are adopted into my family. You belong to me. I choose you, and you're my heir. All the glorious things I have are yours. What's the glorious thing that God has the most? It's his character. It's who he is. And this is what he shares with his family. Limitless freedom is actually slavery and brings no comfort. I want you, let's think back to uh, Genesis and uh, the, the fundamental sin of rebellion. We can go Adam and Eve, but I'm going to skip to Cain. You know, Cain murdered Abel, right? Cain murdered Abel, and what does God do? God has grace on Cain. God has grace on Cain. And he puts a mark on Cain and says, look, I'm putting this mark so no one else will take revenge against you, Cain. So you can understand that you are protected by me. And when you go in the world, that no one else will kill you because they have this mark, and I am protecting you. What does Cain do right away? He goes into the world, and he builds a city to protect himself from others. God said he would protect him. Cain says, I don't trust you. I don't trust this provision. I don't trust this promise. So I'm going to build a city with walls so that no one will hurt me. I want you to think fundamentally why we've built cities throughout our history of humanity. We built cities to protect ourselves from other people. We usually built them with high walls. We build houses with security systems cameras to protect ourselves from others. I'm, I'm not saying all that is a, a bad thing, but fundamentally I want to say, are you trusting God? Are you trusting God? And Cain wasn't trusting God's promise and provision, a direct promise and a direct provision for him. Cain was saying, I'm going to find my comfort in how I self-identify, how I can comfort myself, how I can feel secure 
instead of trusting that he belonged to God. I don't know if that you identify with that at all. We live and claim to belong to ourselves by our words and actions in this world by rejecting God's provisions and his grace for us day in and day out. And in the midst of when we reject his provision, we reject that we actually belong to him. And when we reject that we actually belong to him, we are not trusting him. We are attempting to control our self and to self-identify, to self-belong, to self-comfort, to self-secure. Belonging to God is trusting God. Or shall I say it the other way? Trusting God is knowing that you belong to him and you are not your own. The pandemic, I would say, in many ways was God's gift to us as a congregation, as our society, revealing to her all the ways that we self-rely, we self-belong, and we self-comfort, even within the church. Revealing all the ways in which we dehumanize ourselves and others. Revealing all the ways in which we trust ourselves above all else. And therefore, that we belong to ourselves. The theme verse, right, was to anticipate, to look for what God is doing, which is fundamentally about trusting. We trust God. That's what Micah 7 is saying. I trust God in the midst of all this chaos in the world, and I hope you heard that through verses 1 through 6 and the chaos of the discipline of God in the world. But I will trust God. Hmm. This is a campaign theme that was interrupted by God to teach us that we actually belong to him and to him alone. Micah 7, 7 says it this way. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. The, the theme of, of Micah in, in, in totality of the book, which we won't go through the whole book, is, is that God is judging and, and scattering his people for their self-reliance and their self-belonging and not trusting him. They trusted in themselves to provide for themselves, to secure themselves, to comfort them. And the rest of it is that God is also this judge in Micah, but he's also the shepherd king. When through his covenant promises will gather, protect, and forgive his people. And here we have Micah who is beginning to learn in the midst of all this that he belongs to God and not himself. And so he will trust God in the midst of the chaos. I mean, did you hear that chaos? Brothers against sisters, against families, kings were, were corrupt and bribery and everything. I mean, it was just depravity. I mean, it just sounds like what you just read in the news this morning. God's people learning that they belong to him. This, this verse is a transition verse in all of Micah, where God is saying, I remember my promises. I will save you. I will help you know that you belong to me. And I love this when he, Micah says it, but as for me, 
He's in the midst of all this, but as for me, as a congregation in this, in this campaign, as just as reality is a day in and day out, I want us to say, but as for us, a collection of individuals confessing the same thing, but as for us, we will look to the Lord. We will not look to political parties. We will not look to our self-identities. We will not look to our government. We will not look to all those things. All those things are not necessarily bad things in and of themselves. But if they are what you understand is your identity, you have not understand who you are. That you belong to God. But as for us, just as, just as much as, as Joshua said, you remember in Joshua's book, it was, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and this church, we will serve the Lord. We will look to the Lord. This phrase is a, is a, is a phrase, and you heard it there as a, as a watchman. This watchman phrase, as, a, as we stood on the city's walls, watching to protect it from enemies, but also we look to protect uh, the fields and the harvest that were outside the walls. And here is how Micah is using this, and God's using this verse, is understand we're not protecting a city and a wall. He's saying, look at you. You and I are the watchmen for this world. That we're looking out for the, the, the enemies of this world. And part of the enemy of this world is the lie of Satan that says that you belong to yourself. And we need to be people to each other that warn each other all the time. And warn this world that you do not belong to yourself. That you belong to God. We are watchmen. Warning and preparing ourselves. And then that last phrase, I will wait for the Lord. This is where we got anticipate. Because this other way you can translate this, I, I eagerly await. I eagerly anticipate and excited about. And here's the thing, when we, when we are waiting in Scripture, it's never passive, it's always active. Trust and faith in God is never passive, it's always active. And so we as a congregation are going to be active waiting for God, and I think fundamentally the way we can be active as waiting for God is to remind ourselves that we do not belong to ourselves. Defeat that lie every day. May we wake up tomorrow morning and say to each other, to yourself in the mirrors, that you belong to God, and not to yourself. We are going to anticipate belonging eagerly waiting in the here and now, day and day, in the hardships, in the, on the terror of life and death, that our comfort doesn't belong to us, but our comfort is that we belong to God. The Smashing Pumpkins have this song uh, called Bullet with Butterfly Wings. I don't know if you've heard it. The world is a vampire. Yeah, you know it. Yeah, right, listen up. It's a great song. I actually think it's an anti-Christian song, but I like it, right? So, but basically what it's saying is that we have created a world that sucks our souls, that sucks life in it, and the reality, that the punchline of the chorus is that we're just rats caught in the cage, and that's what self-belonging does. It traps us into this cage of the world that sucks life out of us and our neighbors. My hope is that in this season, that God has taught us that we can't, we learn that we can't trust and we can't rely on ourselves. That there's no comfort 
There's no comfort in the things of this world or the identities that we create in this world. But there's comfort in knowing that we belong to God. Our fundamental need is comfort. And that can only be satisfied and realized is that when we know that we are not our own. And we don't have the responsibility to create ourselves, but that we belong to God and we are his creation. More than that, to hear it clearly, that God loves you and he adores you. This is why he belongs to you. This is why you belong to him. Our identity is in union with Christ. We belong to him. I want you to hold out your hands. What do you have in your hands? That's right. You brought nothing into this world, and when you leave this world, you will bring nothing out of it. And you have nothing in them now. I mean, I know we hold on to things tightly. Let it go. You belong to God. He's holding on to you tightly. Nothing in this world brings us comfort but God. Everything we have, every perfect and good gift comes from our Father above. Every comfort comes from the fact that you and I belong to God. So let us anticipate, eagerly awaiting, belonging to God every day. Every day. Next week, we're going to actually learn what it actually means to practically live out this idea of what it means to belong to God. How does, that, how does that look like in our lives? We got our words, we maybe got our cognitive thought, but what does it look like to belong to God? But today, today I just want you to take comfort in life and death in the knowledge that you belong to him. And he purchased you with his life. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I am humbled we are humbled by this knowledge that you adopted us, that you chose us, that you call us your family, your children, and that we belong to you, something that we do not deserve. I thank you for the freedom of this, not belonging to self or trying to figure out who I am or where I fit or where my comfort is in this world. That is exhausting, Lord. Continue to free us day in and day out of that responsibility and let us hold tighter into trusting and into your love for us. Lord, we give you thanks for this freedom. We give you thanks for this good news that we belong to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.